what you have here is language that is um, spiritual language being used for political ends. So the kind of thing where you talk about, you know, Trump being anointed, all of it is about trying to instantiate the fact that the Republican Party is chosen and that Democrats are basically demons. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Professor Anthea Butler, who is the Geraldine R. Siegel Professor in American Social Thought and the Chair of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. A historian of African-American and American religion, Professor Butler's writing and research spans history, race, politics, evangelicalism, gender, sexuality, media, and pop culture. Professor Butler is also a contributor to the 1619 book, a new beginning, with a chapter entitled Church, and the winner of last year's Martin Marty Award from the American Academy of Religion. A sought-after commentator, Professor Butler is an op-ed contributor for MSNBC, with articles featured in the New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, NBC, and The Guardian. She has also served as a consultant on many PBS series, including Billy Graham, The Black Church, and God in America. I'm having her on today to discuss some of the topics from her most recent book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America, and how evangelical racism, propelled by the benefits of whiteness, is attempting to take over our government and our country. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, award-winning professor, celebrated author, and one of our country's foremost experts on Christian nationalism, Anthea Butler. Welcome, Anthea. Nice to be here with you. Thank you for joining me. I know how incredibly busy and in demand you are. So I really appreciate you taking the time to help us unpack some of what's going on in the country as it pertains to religion and nationalism and this kind of rising autocratic tendency of one of our democratically elected parties. Well, pretty bad, I gotta say. It's pretty bad, Anthea, for sure. Now, I originally found your work when you were responding on Twitter to some people's comments about the increasing religious zealotry and strange behavior that they were witnessing at the Trump rallies that really had this kind of Third Reich vibe. You know, people might remember the ones with all the people putting their fingers in the air and they yeah. had the sort of Sig Heil feel and the sweeping music and the anointed by God sentiment. And people were online and they were talking about the Reawaken America tour with General Michael Flynn and the Turning Point revivals with Charlie Kirk and the Republican candidates that were speaking at it. And you were responding to people like, yes, this is weird. You know, we shouldn't be downplaying yeah. this, uh, but we also shouldn't be looking at this as simply being weird or creepy or odd. We need to take it in context of a bigger picture. The fact that we clearly have this major faction of the Republican Party that's not only using religion to gain power, but is in itself morphing into some version of its own religion. You know, you've got Michael Flynn out here talking about being a country of one religion. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene openly calling herself a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Prominent Republicans like Lauren Boebert are making speeches and saying things like, I believe there have always been two nations created to glorify God, Israel and the United States yeah. of America. And this nation will glorify God. And in that same speech, she said she was tired of the separation of church and state. And mm -hmm. she called it junk. And that's exactly the same speech that she said that Trump had been anointed to the presidency. So this is radical stuff, especially coming from people who have incredible power to make our laws, to dictate our education, and to fund our government. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think, you know, just to back up and sort of put this in a context for you, 
there's always been this kind of thing, except the language has become more prevalent and prominent and out in the press. So I think that's important to say. If we look at what's happening right now in the Republican Party, I would say that, you know, you could make the joke about the inmates have taken over the asylum, but this is not what I want to say. What I really want to say is the religion has taken over the party and the party is a religion. And so I think that's important for people to understand, because when you hear people like Lauren Boebert say, you know, I want to throw out church and state. I mean, she's talking about Thomas Jefferson here. We're talking about, you know, the separation between church and state. That has always been something that, you know, the founders and the framers wanted. But clearly these people don't want it anymore. So I think the first thing to understand is that this is radical talk, right? All of it is radicalization. The second is, is that they don't see Christian nationalism as a problem. As a matter of fact, they are very nationalistic Christians, but except the way that that reads is it's white Christianity, right? And it reads a certain kind of American Christianity. The third thing is, and I think this is really important, what you have here is language that is um, spiritual language being used for political ends. So the kind of thing where you talk about, you know, Trump being anointed, you know, I don't know if you remember back when Trump was elected, they called him King Cyrus, all of these kinds of, you know, terminologies, the kind of crazy art they had with, you know, Jesus standing behind and hugging Trump. And I'm like, this is kind of weird, y'all. All of it is about trying to instantiate the fact that the Republican Party is chosen and that Democrats are basically demons. Yeah. And, and, and the demonic kind of language especially is dangerous because what you have are people who are susceptible to conspiracy theories and other things that are making them, you know, go batshit, to be quite honest. And I think that's where we have a big issue. Yeah, a huge issue. I saw a woman on TikTok yesterday saying that Trump was the archangel Uriel. You know, and she was very serious about it. Oh, no, she's serious. Um, She's totally serious. Very serious. She was very serious, you know. And and I think the thing is what we have to look at is that these people that are talking like this, people like Bobert, used to be fringe, right? They used to be one of the the fringe characters. And now they have moved squarely to the base, right? She is one of the main voices in the Freedom Caucus, the group that the House that includes people like Matt Gaetz, Paul Gosar, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs. These are extremists that seem to have no interest in governing or government in general. And these are the people that now have complete control over House leadership after Mm -hmm. getting Speaker McCarthy to agree to every single one of their demands and then some for their votes. But these 20 some odd people are not just disruptors or in it for power and control, which of course they want, but there's a religious element to it. It's not just nationalism. It's not even just white nationalism. It is Christian nationalism. And people Mm -hmm. need to understand that Christian nationalists, they adhere to this strong sense of moral traditionalism, which fits in perfectly with the conservative base, right? And they're more comfortable with authoritarian control as a way of maintaining order because their their lives are already set up in this kind of patriarchal, top-down controlled setting. And then they tend to lean towards conformity and uniformity for a sense of belonging. And that can ultimately lead to a sense of superiority over others who do not conform, right? Christian nationalists believe that government should be in the hands of real Americans. And the Mm -hmm. real Americans are defined by this kind of ethno-religious category that usually means white Christian conservatives. And they function under this idea that non-Christians, and more often than not, non-white Americans, are in danger. Uh, They are dangerous to them and their way of life. But you've written that you don't even have to be white 
that there are many that you point out in your book, white evangelical racism. There are many mm. non-white Americans who support this movement, but yeah. you believe that they're motivated by what you call the promise of whiteness or yeah. the promise of being American. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I think it's really compelling. If you are, you come to this country, you are not, you are non-white, you know, you might be an immigrant, that this proximity to whiteness gives you proximity to power. And right. so if you embrace these kind of conservative ideals, conservative religious ideals, which you might already have, depending on, you know, where you're coming from, if you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever, if you embrace these ideals, that makes it easier for you to assimilate. You know, and so this is the sort of conundrum when we looked at people like the Proud Boys, right? And you're just like, how can you have Proud Boys that are not non-white? How can yeah. you have, you know, people who, you know, attacked the Capitol who were black, right? And I just want to mention the black man that attacked the Capitol. He got more um, time than everybody else. I'm just like, you know, you oh, didn't really what a shocker. <laughs> I know, what a shocker, right? Uh -huh, I, I, mean, uh -huh. I think it's really important to say this proximity to whiteness is about power. And it's about how you gain power and how you get alliances with people who have power. And so this way to do this, whether you do it religiously, you know, like, it, I mean, let's use an example from the past when Trump had Mark Burns hanging around and Daryl Scott and all these other black pastors, he used them as a way to prove that I'm not racist. And those black pastors use that as a way to say that they were supporting a man who was strong and that you should support him too. And look, he's not racist. And they got benefits and money from that. I mean, the biggest example, you know, unfortunately, she has gone on to find out what's on the beyond the other side is diamond and diamond and silk, you know, very religious family, you know, Pentecostals, you know, they went out there on the stump for Trump, all of this stuff. They were basically evangelists for Trump. And then, you know, and they embraced all these ideals and they were definitely not white, but they supported the white man in his quest to be that person. So I think these are kinds of things that we have to understand that whiteness and, and race are operational, very much so in the Republican Party and also with evangelicals. Yeah. Again, it's proximity to power. It's the same reason mm -hmm. white women keep voting against their own best interests because exactly. they see that their uh, their power is based in their connection to the white man who is the top of the power structure. Exactly. And so they think they're retaining their own power by staying second to him, even if they're you know not benefiting themselves. We yeah. should remind people that the separation of church and state in general, you were talking about Jefferson, who has some beautiful words on this, despite his own storied past. Kind of interesting way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we should remind people that the separation of church and state was set up to ensure that everyone had the freedom to practice their own religion or no religion at all without any government mm -hmm. interference. And that there would be a, a break between people's faith and people's work, our government's work. Our government should be making decisions based on logic, on data, on science, not on anyone's spiritual beliefs because everyone has different beliefs. But yes, until right. Kellyanne Conway came along, everyone didn't have different facts, right? Yeah, so right. the entire modern Republican movement focuses on who is worthy and who is not, who exactly. should have a voice and who should not, whose vote counts and whose doesn't. And at the end of the day, they seem to prefer only those who subscribe to their beliefs should be worthy of votes at all. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's an important point. And I also think, you know, they're what we would call high boundaries. You know, they don't let anybody else in, right? You have to cue to a particular kind of line. And I think that's an issue 
for Democrats to think about. I'm not saying that Democrats should be rigid. What I am saying is that when you deal with Republicans and evangelicals and all of these kinds of you know religious groups, including Catholics, that come together, they walk in lockstep. Okay, they don't waver. They know what they're doing. Whether they're talking about we hate CRT or we want we don't want abortion or we don't want trans kids, everybody is on the same page, right? And so there's a sense in which there's there's two things. You know, one is it can be really fascist. But the other thing is in, in a religious kind of terminology, it becomes kind of cult-like in a way. And so with everybody spouting the same thing all of the time, you know, exhibiting the same behaviors and everything, what I worry about is that we have a bunch of zealots. We have people who are, you know, really mobilized because of their belief in a way that it's not just a political belief that you can argue about, but it's a belief that you'll die for. And I think mm-hmm. that we saw that, you know, on one six. Well, also when you add God into anything, you know, if you're doing it for God, then everything goes, right? If you Absolutely. are on the side of God, then you are good and your opponent is bad by nature. Mm-hmm. That's how it works out, right? Yeah. They're, they're spouting the same thing all the time. It also... It leaves no room for questioning. It leaves no room for critical thought. So if someone says, I'm not sure if we're doing the right thing, you can't speak up because then you're ostracized from your community, your church, your friend group, Mm -hmm. your business associates, the people that you do business with. And it leaves no room for people to question, even if they want to, because they'll lose so much. So then they stay, like you said, in lockstep. It's really true. Yeah. When Democrats talk about being in the battle for the soul of America. I believe Mm -hmm. we're talking about standing up for things like freedom and fairness and democracy, justice, Mm -hmm. feeding our better angels, the white wolf, if you will, instead of our basest instincts. The Republicans and Christian nationalists who support them, they're in the battle for the soul of the nation too, but their war is based on the idea that nation belongs to them and they are losing ground in what they consider to be their country. So something Mm -hmm. has to be done. They're They're at war. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, and that warfare language is really prevalent right now. I think, you know, Peter Barnard had a really good piece in the New York Times this week, where he talked about it being, a, you know, a demographic issue. You know that there's not enough white people that are going to be around, you know, in 20 to 50 years. You know, there's the push to let's make these women have some more babies. Let's, you know, make sure we get out of here because we need to remain in power. And they see the shift. They see how America is changing. And I think change is always, you know, a, a fearful for people. But in this particular case, it's not just fear. The fear is driving some violence. The fear is driving, you know, sedition. The fear is driving a lot of different things that, you know, attempt to erode our democracy. And so I think that this fear that we see on the Republican side and from a lot of religious people that, you know, manifests itself in these kind of moral issues is about their inability to see, to accept that people are different and people don't want to live the way that they want to live. Because listen, this is the biggest thing I think is always important to say. It's very interesting how every Republican always wants to try to tell you how to live and who you should sleep with, who you should marry, how you should dress, all of this stuff. But then you turn around and you call these people, you know, you call anybody who doesn't agree with you pedophiles, but look at all the people on their side who've been, you know, accused of molesting children or beating their wives or doing all this kind of paying for abortions that they said they didn't believe in. I mean, it's just a, it's a list of hypocrisy. And I think what we don't do is call them enough on their hypocrisy. 
And I think that's the important part of this. It's like, it's ridiculous to have these people continue to point at other people to tell them how to live when they don't live that way themselves. Well, not to mention that uh, they claim to be the party of freedom, but you're yes, hardly the party, the party of freedom if you're telling people what to read, what to do, what yeah. you can say, who you can marry, who you can have sex with. You know, like that's not, the, where's the freedom in all of that, right? Mm, I think nowhere. that's the reason that statistics prove that younger generations are fundamentally less Republican, right? They're less religious. They're far more diverse. And I think Republicans get this. They know their ideas aren't popular and they know their voice is being increasingly diluted by an increasingly diverse population. So they are working further and further outside the box to retain their power, right? These are the people who are believing in traditional marriage, in the straight lifestyle, perhaps even the domination of white men, right? And their view of the world lines up very well with a lot of Christians, particularly evangelical Christians. And it's it's this idea that America used to be good, but we've strayed from the righteous path and we need to be brought back in line to save the country. And if it turns out that democracy is in the way of that, then democracy has to go, right? Yeah. Republicans have found a way to use the power and influence of evangelical Christians and Christianity in general as a weapon, like you said earlier, as a weapon in their fight against democracy and in their fight against a democracy that no longer works for them. Democracy was fine, provided it held up their power structure. But now that a lot of other people are getting voices and a lot of diverse people are out there, it no longer works for them. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I mean, I think that, you know, the other part of it is, is that when democracy you think doesn't work for you, then you try to shut down democracy. And that's what we saw in 1-6. That's what we continue to see in the ways in which these laws are being built in places like Florida. I just read a thread today about how they asked um, one of the state universities in Florida to list all the classes that they were teaching about CRT and that used race or whatever. I mean, this is ridiculous. The people who have taught these things for years, all of a sudden, this is supposed to be scary now. All of a sudden, you need to take these books out of the library that you never even read, that most of them have never read either, right? You know, Toni Morrison is terrible. Anybody who's talking about CRT is terrible. Nobody's teaching CRT to kindergartners. Nobody cares. And yeah. so I think these are these moral panics are, you know, ginned up. They're designed to keep people off their feet. They're designed to scare the average voter into thinking that there's something that must be protected and that my vote is the only one that's going to help protect it. And this is a way for Republicans to use their base and to use their base in such a way it's not just about voting, but it's also about fighting. And that fight may be physical. It may be at the school board or wherever, but they're using people to further their own ends. Yeah. And they're using religious doctrine to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. the you're talking about these professors in Florida. I mean, we're, we've already had CRT, which wasn't in elementary schools, taken out of yes. elementary schools. We took something that wasn't there out of it. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, yeah. Um, but they're, now they're talking about college level professors. They're going into colleges and saying to college professors, you need to submit a list of all your courses that contain mm-hmm. DEI information, CRT components, without any explanation of why they're doing it. Submit it to the governor's office. And th- like we said, this isn't for elementary students. This is for yeah. colleges. This is the implication that that your school's funding will be affected if the mm-hmm. governor doesn't like what you're teaching. So yes. we're actually seeing professors removing courses that might deal with the black experience or the mm-hmm. immigrant experience because they're afraid their funding is going to be pulled in Florida. Classes yeah. are already being canceled in anticipation of this. This is like chilling fascist behavior, but it's mm-hmm. wrapped up 
in the guise of something else. It's the same, the Republican Congress of Missouri, just their very first amendment under their new Republican leadership was to make stricter mm-hmm. rules on what women could wear and you couldn't have yeah. exposed arms anymore. And you I know, know I just, keep, that was crazy, right? But this is That's very crazy. top-down religious type stuff. And you hear about mm-hmm. other cultures that have, you know, very controlling of their women, very controlling of their education, what you can learn, what you can wear, what you can say, who you can marry. And this is this is the new America in many ways if with these people get full control, you know? I think... We can't ignore that there is a clear push for a religious takeover in America, not just from the most devout or extreme evangelical citizens, but from our lawmakers, from our Mm -hmm. court, from this very far right Christian nationalist fascist faction has really infiltrated virtually every level of American government, including our court system and including our highest court in the land. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unfortunate to make this analogy, but, you know, the thing about dress, I was like, this is like the Taliban. You're trying to tell women they got to wear their thing. Or it's like, you know, Iran right now where they're, you know, all these battles are happening because women are going unveiled and they're rebelling against, you know, this you know, the strict government. It's appalling on one hand, but it's not surprising on the other. I mean, this is where, you know, years and years of, you know, 50 plus years of Republican and evangelical wrangling, along with a lot of Catholics, have turned us into this kind of space. And so when I talk to people who are not American, they say, what's going on over there? I'm just like, we are undergoing a religious political revolution. And that revolution hopefully is going to end on the side of democracy prevailing. But I'm not sure right now. Because, you know, know, let me let me just say a blunt example of that. You know, when people took over the Capitol in Brazil this past Sunday, you know, for Bolsonaro, they were arrested immediately. We let people go home. We would let people go to dinner. <laughs> well, I know. We let, they, they had drinks. They, had they like cocktails. filled up the Washington restaurants. Home. That woman who flew there on a, on a jet flew home on her jet. You know, it was months later before people started getting arrested and still half of them haven't been arrested. Some of them were pastors. So I, I think that we have to take a hard look at what we're doing here and that we have not taken seriously the threat that is among us. Or as I like to say, that person who's sitting next to you at the coffee shop or in the pew is also that person who might want to say, well, you know, I don't like the way you're doing stuff. I don't like your trans kid. I'm going to rat you out. I think Christians also have to remember that it, this isn't every form of Christianity that is going to have a place in this new order yeah. that they want. You know, there's yeah. one form of Christianity. Like, you're like, well, I'm Christian. Like, I'll fit into whatever this new... You're like, nope, it's not going to be your form of Christianity. There's yeah. going to be a very distinct, very uh, militant version of mm-hmm. what is okay and what is not okay. And yeah. we have so many different versions of Christianity in America, and they won't all be accepted in this sort no, of new world that we're looking at. I mean, look at what they're doing with education, right? This rise mm-hmm. of moms for liberty and the attack on our school boards and the yeah. public education system. And now I am talking about elementary school, right? That yeah. these are about the people that have been calling liberals groomers and saying we are indoctrinating them. While at the same mm-hmm. time, they've been actively working to get an anti-LGBTQ, very white, very Christian-centered education system. And if they cannot have that, then the goal is to underfund or destroy public schools to make way for more Christian charter schools and homeschooling. And this, to me, feels like straight-up brainwashing of our youth, of our children, Mm -hmm. in order to raise a new generation of these devout, super-patriotic, unquestioning citizens that are easier to control. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, what, what they want is indoctrination from K through 12 and then college, right? And I think <laughs> one of the important things right now is, you know, one of the articles I wrote last year that got the most pushback was about homeschooling. And I talked about homeschooling as being, you know, having, you know, these kinds of racist things that they use to you at home in order to teach the kids. And man, I got so many people yelling and screaming at me on email and on Twitter and all these other spaces, but it's true. And so they've always been concerned about education since the 70s forward, even earlier than that. And so you've got books that say slavery was indentured servitude or that it was just like forced labor instead of, you know, being what it was, was chattel slavery, right? Yeah. I think, you know, we have to start to pay attention. And the, you know, the fault, again, I'm going to say about Democrats is that, and, and, you know, those who feel that they are independent, you need to be out there watching what's happening at your school board meeting, because most of these things started school boards. And then they yeah. end up, you know, seeping out into the public. And you have those same people who get power at the school board running for the state legislature, and then on and on and on until we get to the Supreme Court, where things are just really bad with five Catholics right now who are basically like, you know, the Inquisition. 100%. They may as well yeah. sit on much taller chairs. That's what I keep yeah, thinking. Exactly. Like, to look down on us, right? So I got a Lomi about three months ago, and now I can't believe I ever lived without it. I use it that much. Like you, I'm one of those people who wants to do better by the planet, but I'm not always exactly sure how to go about it. We recycle like crazy in my house, but there's always so much extra food waste. And I know when it breaks down, it's releasing a ton of methane into the atmosphere. This is where Lomi comes in. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. Our family has taken to collecting our food scraps in a little bucket and then running the Lomi once every couple of days or over the holidays every single day, sometimes twice a day. Lomi turns our food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that we can feed to our plants, put in our garden, or just throw in the trash. I'm not kidding you when I say I love this machine. The amount of times a week I say, ah, oh, I love the Lomi. And I love companies who make it part of their mission to help the world. Pila, the company that makes the Lomi, already makes biodegradable iPhone cases, so they already walk the walk. Now we have the Lomi looking all sophisticated and eco-friendly on our counter, breaking down everything from banana peels to salmon without any damage to the environment. So if you want to join our family and start making a positive impact on your methane emissions or just make cleaning up after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. Food waste builds up. It's terrible for the environment and Lomi is the solution. I swear it has changed the way we function in our kitchen. Lomi.com. Okay, I'm tripping out about this new sponsor because I'm so bummed it wasn't around when my kid was little. Little Spoon makes fresh, healthy meals and snacks for babies, toddlers, and little kids, and they deliver it straight to your door. You just put it in the fridge or in the freezer and you use it when you need it. They have everything from fresh organic baby food with single ingredients to multi-textured purees for older, more mature eaters. They have toddler and big kid meals, and they're all free of junk, but taste amazing. Think like hidden veggie mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and pot stickers and gnocchi. They even have healthy snack smoothies and convenient pouches in flavors like strawberry banana shake and purple carrot acai bowl. I was literally looking through their products and thinking, why? 
Why wasn't this around 14 years ago? I was one of those people who thought they would make their own baby food. I thought I would be the perfect mom and bland up all these fresh organic meals he would love. It literally lasted three weeks before I completely gave up. Here's what I was trying to do without all the work delivered right to your door. You get to pick the menu and you can change it up whenever you want. It's convenient, it's adorable, it's made with the cleanest, most high quality ingredients. I ended up giving a whole bunch of it to my friend who's a working mom with a 15 month old. And she has sent me the most adorable pictures of this cherub of a child just devouring the food. So it's not only convenient, it's delicious. So make the chaos of having a little, a little more manageable with time-saving, delicious, healthy meals and snacks your kids will love. Go to littlespoon.com and enter the code politicsgirl at checkout to get 50% off your first Little Spoon order. That's L-I-T-T-L-E-S-P-O-O-N.com and enter code politicsgirl for 50% off at checkout. Being a parent is hard. Make it just a little bit easier with Little Spoon. I mean, Christian nationalism has been able to basically persuade a large section of the American public to vote mm -hmm. for political candidates that the movement favors, the candidates yeah. that will give more power to the movement leaders and enshrine the policies that those leaders want to see in our laws mm -hmm. and our society, right? This is how we got to a place where the majority of the American public thinks abortion should be legal, yeah. and it was. Mm -hmm. And now, because of a group of small-minded, well-connected people in power, our rights have been systematically stripped from us. Mm -hmm. And people need to pay attention to that. Like you said, whether they're Democrats or independents, you need to be like, huh, this is interesting. Like, how do we call ourselves a democracy if this tiny group of people is being able to decide everything we are and are not allowed to do? Exactly. And what people are allowed to do with their own bodies, your own autonomy. Yes. Right? You know, for women, this is really important. I mean... You know, we just have these stories of, you know, women who have, you know, had to ha carry babies that were dead, you know, that they were in sepsis and they couldn't get an abortion, all of these things. And I think, you know, you're not giving people choice. This is not about choice. You know, this is about we're not giving you a choice because our choice is what you should do. And again, that is the problem is this imposition of another person's will on someone who's supposed to be free but, you know, really isn't in this country when we have a bunch of people who are trying to tell us what to do all of the time. Yeah. And it's definitely the exploitation of religion for political purposes, right? Yes, you got absolutely. this set of ideas and ideologies, but they're also a straight up political movement. Like it's an organized quest for sustained power. I mean, there are people out here, congressional members, judges, thought leaders, as you said, school board members, talking about the end of days, right? The last days yeah. and the role the people have in the second coming, right? This is Christian nationalist rhetoric dialed up to an 11 and then mm -hmm. weaponized against the basic pillars of American democracy and way of life. And I, I yes. keep thinking like people are like, oh, it's not really happening. And I'm like, Here's the thing. I heard a lot of people wondering where someone like Byron Donalds, the one-term mm -hmm. congressman and yeah. one of the only black Republicans who was put up and as an alternative for speaker in the Kevin McCarthy fiasco, right? And mm -hmm. people were like, where did he come from? Like, who's this guy, right? Other than out of flicking left field. But the fact of the matter is 
that man is deeply entrenched in the Christo fascist movement, right? His wife, who also happens to be a white woman, is a leading voice in that movement. She's, Mm -hmm. it's the kind of Candace Cameron Burr school of thought. Like we're not bigoted. We're just Christian, right? And calling us, yeah, we're just Christians. And calling Mm -hmm. us on our hateful bigotry is religious persecution. We're the victims, despite the fact that we're actually out here victimizing others. You know, these are the groups in Florida. This is where Byron Donalds is from that are stripping LGBTQ people of their rights and creating the bills like the don't say gay bill. Mm -hmm. And Ron DeSantis, who is wildly popular, but just passing law after law after law that feels like deeply fascist, just Mm -hmm. put his wife on a school board, right? Like to make decisions on what children in Florida can, can learn. And they call it educational freedom. But what that really means is freedom from teaching anything we don't like. Educational Mm -hmm. freedom is actually persecution and censorship. It's just wrapped in the guise of religion. And this man didn't come out of nowhere. He is deeply entrenched in this movement through his wife and through the work that they do. Yeah. I mean, I think people, you know, always think, oh, where did this guy come from? And I'm like, you, you just haven't been paying attention to the people that you should be paying attention to, right? That's one. <laughs> and, you know, second, they have their own kind of media scrum, you know, system, ecosystem that, you know, they exist within. And so every now and then somebody like him pops up when something weird happens, right? So when you have, you know, the votes for Kevin McCarthy and his name is being put up and then Joy Reid talks to him and, and realizes what a tool he is, right? Because he kind of <laughs> is. You know, then then it's like everybody's shocked, but you shouldn't be shocked. There's hundreds of people like him and 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 they are willing to carry that water and do whatever the party or these religious leaders say so that they can become famous, too. And that's the whole point is that this is I think, you know, people are sort of like pay attention to the politics a lot. Pay attention to the money. The money is good and the money is flowing and lucrative. This is how you get a man who nobody knows who he really is you know, gets to be elected to Congress. And now everybody's chasing George Santos trying to figure out, is he, does he have an arrest warrant in Brazil? Did he do this? You know, he's lied more than Trump and that's saying something. (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, there's clearly a symbiotic relationship between Mm -hmm. religious leaders and political leaders, right? Religious leaders want power. They want political access. They want policies that favor their approved, you know, views of the world. Mm -hmm. They want people to behave in a way that they think they should be behaving. And they want laws that are going to force them to do that. And they want access to, like you said, private and public money, right? And then political leaders want power and control. And yes, money again. Donald Trump capitalized on all of the needs of the evangelical movement Mm -hmm. by promising them everything they wanted. Trump gave it to them. And they certainly did because he essentially gave them everything that they wanted, right? He he got them closer to everything that they asked for through conservative Mm -hmm. judges, through the end of Roe, patriarchal power structure, the return of the white man to the presidency. And they got him as close as he could ever be to what he wanted, which was power and money and lack of criminal accountability. Mm -hmm. It only fell apart when he couldn't stay in power. Exactly. I mean, I shudder to think what would have happened if we had had him for four more years, you know? (sighs) So it would have been horrible, right? But I also think that, you know, it's still horrible because even though he's not in power, what's coming for 2024 might be far worse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have to be honest that like Donald Trump, what Ron DeSantis would bring us, anything like that 
is mm -hmm. very, very similar to the yeah. religious nationalism you see in countries like Russia under Putin mm -hmm. or Hungary oh, yeah. under Orban or how mm -hmm. Turkey is run. These are political leaders who tie themselves to these ultra-conservative religious figures because it helps them consolidate authoritarian top-down control, and it fits yeah. in. Religion has always allowed people to kind of wrap themselves in righteousness, and it guards them yeah. against criticism of any of their corruption or any check mm -hmm. on their power. I mean, there's... Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons the church has always been so intimately connected with the powerful or backed the wannabe powerful. This has happened throughout history. It's a way to ensure that both sides get control and that mm -hmm. they are both upholding the power structure that they prefer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part of what I talk about in my book, um, White Evangelical Racism. The, the subtitle, The Politics of Morality in America, is just that, you know, morality is politics in America. Yeah. That's how church people get power and that's how religious people get power. And once you understand that, I mean, I think the biggest fallacy has been is to take these people who were religious, who were saying all these things and trying to exert power about abortion and all these other things, is to take them as though they were just religious actors and they weren't. They were also political actors. And once you realize they're political actors and they're acting in concert with the Republican Party as a political actor, then you see that you have a big juggernaut of things. And I think... You know, to your other point, I want to come back to something I think is really important that needs to be said here. You know, while they're doing the schools and everything else, the one thing I think that people miss is the training of young people in these uh, these kinds of areas. So if you think about somebody like a Charlie Kirk with Turning Point America, where he did, you know, which I was on the inaugural list of the professor watch list for like bad professors that you're supposed to watch out for, right? Because we teach about race and things like this. You know, so somebody like Charlie Kirk with Turning Point, um, other groups that, uh, that, you know, currently attack um, professors on campus. Young Republicans was an early group of this kind, right, that are on campuses everywhere. And I'm not saying it should be young Republicans. What I am saying is that these are weaponized organizations that are not just simply fundraising or, you know, being a nice place for little young Republicans to be. They are training them so that they can take the place of the people who are already in power yeah. and so that they understand how it works. Yeah. Well, weaponization is the key there, right? It's That's why it's so effective yeah. to paint Democrats as the enemy. Because if yeah. you're at war, everything goes. And like I said before, mm -hmm. if you're at war for God, then you can truly justify everything. You know, everything Absolutely. we hear about these radical, woke liberals who are so dangerous and have to be defeated, they're using words like apocalypse and phrases like mm -hmm. destruction of the country. You know, ultimately, yeah. it's a dog whistle to violence and the justification mm -hmm. for radical change. And yeah. they're using their politicians and their pundits and the right-wing media to keep people both scared and also mm -hmm. primed for a fight, right? Like we just had the yeah. two-year anniversary of the insurrection, which I believe wouldn't even mm -hmm. have happened without the zealotry that was created around people like Donald Trump, right? Yeah. But these rallies and tours that are carrying on now with the Charlie Kirks of the world and the people that are training and uplifting this new generation of people... Mm -hmm. It's also filled with a ton of people who own guns and are told that they're Absolutely. at war, right? Yeah. They're under yeah. attack. They should be and afraid. they're not afraid to use those guns. That's right. And that's point. how someone like Kyle Rittenhouse could kill two people and become a right-wing hero and celebrity. Like, we've mm -hmm. kind of lost our collective minds if we don't settle down and see what, what the reality of the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bleak, actually. I mean, you know, when we start to think about how much weaponry was involved... And even in one six, I mean, you know, 
it, the, the fact that that could have turned a lot worse, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, it is just miraculous that it did not. Yeah. But had there been more firepower there, had there been a way that, you know, Trump saying like, turn off the magnetometers, I don't care about that. They didn't, they're not here to hurt me. You know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, he didn't even think that a stray bullet would get him. He's just like, bring on the guns. So I, I mean, this is naivete of thinking that guns are going to solve this, but what exactly guns are going to do is make this even a more escalating problem, you know? Yeah. And if you unleash chaos, yeah. yeah. And chaos is pretty much here. I, I yeah. don't know about you, but I think it's pretty much here. And also, it's like some of these leaders, I mean, they've been trained for war. You know, Re- Ruth mm-hmm. Ben-Ghiad, who's one of the leading experts on yeah. strongman leaders, has referred to General Michael Flynn as one of the most dangerous in the individuals in America because she mm-hmm. believes that his reawakened tour, which has massive Christian overtones, um, is fundamentally about indoctrinating people to believe that they have to take up arms against democracy and oh, yeah. democracy and the other enemies. And she's fully convinced he wants to destroy democracy. I mean, oh, during absolutely. the January 6th hearings, Liz Cheney asked him directly if he believed in the peaceful transfer of power and he pleaded the fifth, right? The fifth. I know, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. And we ha- then we have people like Doug Mastriano, who of course lost his bid for governor of Pennsylvania, but he was such a Christian nationalist and pro-conspiracy theory person Mm -hmm. and absolutely against the separation of church and state. And I was reading words from um, a University of Oklahoma sociologist. He wrote a book called The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy, Samuel Perry. So he Mm -hmm. said that even someone like Mastriano, the fact that he made it through the Republican primary tells Christian nationalists, even the most extreme ones who think that women should be arrested for having abortions and we should not have birth control and we should not have any laws that protect the LGBTQ community. Even them, they they all see it now that the fact that he got as far as he did means that they should be encouraged to keep going. They should keep putting their extremist candidates up. And you know And they'll win. And they're gonna win. That's what they think. And I think you think Mm -hmm. that that's coming, right? That's where you sort of see Mm -hmm. the I do yeah. because in part, you know, it, lots of cases are being won, but you know, by great people like Mark Elias. So that's great. Right. But the other part of this is, is that for everyone you swat down, there's two more that are going to raise up. Right. And that you have to push down. And so in a state like Pennsylvania, we just dodged a big bullet, not having Mastriano, but I fully expect to see him wanting to do something else. And, you know, we barely missed getting, you know, it was very close. Lord Burwood could be gone, you know, but I think, you know, what you're going to see in 24 is a doubling down of all of this and a consolidation of all these people because they know that's, that's going to be for all the marbles basically. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it all lines up. But first we got to get through the bloodbath of DeSantis and Trump. Cause that's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah. Look, a mutually sure would, destruction would be good for me, but I don't think that's how that it's going to play lovely, out. But I don't Wouldn't know. That be nice? I, yeah, I think DeSantis might have it over Trump right now. He does. I really would agree do. with that. I think that's a, a fair yeah. statement. And I think he's actually far more dangerous. Um, he's much All you have dangerous. to do is look at what's happening in Florida. People think, oh, well, he's much more stable and more normal. And you're like, no, look at what's happening no, in Florida. Not. Look, at the, no, look at the bills he's putting through. Look at the fascist behavior he's doing. You know, he took over that entire election system. He's taking over colleges. He's trying to dominate how you can do mm-hmm. and say. And he has no fear of going after private businesses. There's nothing conservative about that man. He is a straight up fascist. And his wife is absolutely Svengaliing him into some sort of presidential role. 
I saw her the other day, like dressed in Jackie O cosplay. And I thought, oh, Lord, really? like white gloves uh, and all, Anthea, <laughs> the whole bit, that's the very, whole bit. That's so, very frightening. I, I think it's very frightening, too. It's a very serious problem. And I think it's essential that we as uh, pro-democracy um actual freedom loving Americans really take this seriously and know that like you said 24 is for all the marbles and we need to pull it together and see the threat for what it is because if they think we're at war and we think it's simply a battle you know then we're in trouble so we need yeah. to meet them where they are and yep. uh, and explain to people even by showing them constantly what is actually going on mm -hmm. so before we go um, I think we should clarify that not all Christians are Christian nationalists in fact, That's there's right. multiple faith-based organizations that completely denounce this type of movement. Um, mm -hmm. But Christian nationalism clearly resonates with this target audience of white evangelical Protestants, um, which is the base of the mega movement. And that's not going away anytime soon. And it currently runs the House of Representatives and perhaps even the Supreme Court. So, you know, if you could leave us with anything before you go, something that we could do to help or be aware of or help protect American mm -hmm. democracy. What would you like us to know? Yeah. I mean, I think people need to get involved in their local community. I, mm. um, somebody got mad at me because I said at a talk last year that voting wasn't enough and it's not because what you do is if you just simply vote and you go home, you don't get involved in the everyday running of your community. Go to, you know, start going to those school board meetings. Start looking at your, you know, contacting your local congressperson. Start to watch the people who are running. Start to, you know, engage in a political campaign if you can for 2024 when those start to occur, if you can do all those things. But the biggest thing you can do is educate yourself. You can start to educate yourself about what's out here what's around, you know, start to read some books, you know, whether we're talking about the flag of the cross or my book, white evangelical racism, you know, so that you can learn about these things that are hidden in plain sight in front of you. Because I think that, you know, most people are like, well, they're probably good people, you know, they eat a cracker barrel or they do whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, you're right. But they're also people who are thinking about how they're going to overturn the government and how they're going to make a government that's different. They want a government that's based on scripture and God. And they don't care that you're Muslim or Jewish or atheist or agnostic. They want you to be Christian. And we have to resist that because that's not what this country was built on. And I think Christians have to resist that too. Christians that don't yeah. believe those things. I think they that's do. essential. I want to thank you for joining me today, Anthea. You're absolutely brilliant. And I hope people will thank buy you your so book. Much. Your insight is is testament. And I will bring you back another day and we can see how we're doing six months from now yes. or so. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I hope we're doing better than we're doing today. I... That's all I can say. <laughs> Fingers That's crossed. What I'm hoping That's for. on us, right? That's the work we have yeah. to do. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks thank so much. Thank you. So that was Professor Anthea Butler reminding us that Christianity is being weaponized in a quest for power and control. That Christian nationalism, the kind we see in places like Hungary, with its top-down control and traditional values and domination of education and the press, is not only on the rise in America, but already in positions of the highest power. This is not something we can just vote away. This is something we have to actively work against from the school boards and libraries right through Congress. That those of us who believe in a true, multicultural, pluralistic democracy with freedom and justice for all must insist on the separation of church and state and must recognize that without our efforts, we will lose a war we didn't even know we were in. I want to thank Professor Butler for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Until next week, PG out.
The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.